You're listening to Tonebenders, the sound designer's podcast. Let's do this. Hey everybody, welcome to Tonebenders. My name is Tim Muirhead and I will be your host for today. We recently got an email from a listener named Mike Strain and uh, I'm going to read you part of it. Mike says, I wanted to point out a show with great sound, True Detective on HBO. It's truly fantastic. The clarity of the dialogue is outstanding. I would highly recommend checking it out and maybe interviewing them on how they were able to achieve that high level of quality. Was it in the recordings or during the editorial and mixing? The post-production sound on the show is truly something great. I even read an article where the executive producer was floored by how great the sound turned out. So after reading that, I immediately lit up my TV and started watching True Detective Season 3. And God damn it, if Mike Strain wasn't right, the show sounds amazing. It's a marvel. It was also just recently nominated for an Emmy, so I reached out to have two key members that are responsible for the soundtrack to come on with us today. So first up, we have Mandel Winter, the supervising sound editor. Hey Mandel, how you doing? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having us. Excellent. So Mandel is also nominated this year for an Emmy for Deadwood the Movie, the supervising sound editor on the film Death Wish, the TV series The OA, the film Magnificent Seven, which I really loved that film. I thought it was super fun. And then Southpaw, the boxing movie. Everybody loves that movie. And also joining us today will be Micah Loken. He was the dialogue editor and also is nominated for the Emmy today. He's also got two golden reels under his belt. He worked on SEAL Team, Jack Ryan, Masters of Sex, Homeland, Bloodline. He's worked on basically all the prestige shows that are going on around town right now. Welcome to the show, Micah. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You guys are both, uh, as I mentioned, nominated for an Emmy for True Detective. Did you both work on previous seasons of True Detective, or is season three where you started? I know, Mandel, you were at least on season two, correct? I supervised season two, was not on season one, that was done in New York, season two and season three, yeah. And Micah came on for uh, season three. Yep. So was there any pressure to make season three sound sonically like seasons one and two? It's a clean slate. Every story is different. We start from scratch. You know, it was actually awesome for me because when I found out when he was going to ask me to come on to help him with True Detective season three, I hadn't actually seen the first two. I kind of had a clean slate coming in, and that was probably the best thing I could have done at the time. Although I will say I did go back and watch the first two seasons. (laughs) How did you guys get this dialogue so clean? Because Mahersh Ali, the main character in the show, he's basically whispering every line. For anyone who hasn't seen it, there's kind of three timelines going on on the series. One of the timelines, Mahershala Ali is an older man, Mm -hmm. and he is really not enunciating loudly, but you can crystal clear hear everything he's saying. There's this particular scene, I believe it's in episode two, where old man Mahershala and his son are driving in a car. And his voice, he's not making any sound, and yet it's super loud and clear, and it blew my mind. Hey, mother. I, uh, I have trouble seeing her sometimes. Well, uh, I know she is, but uh, the parts of our lives, pieces, I can't picture her. You think mom wants you to keep doing this? She's bringing things back, going over the case. And I'm remembering things, my life, your sister. So it was obviously ADR, right? No, that was not ADR. What? That was production. It starts with great production. <laughs> Jeffrey Patterson, our production mixer, was phenomenal. Yeah. 
Wow. Amazingly enough, we had him on Deadwood as well. So it starts with that. And then Micah just is a whiz. He knows how to work the tracks beautifully. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the locations that they chose to shoot, there were some scenes where there were a lot of bugs, birds, and sometimes, you know, those birds can be really intrusive on those lavalier microphones. And so we had to attenuate a lot of that kind of stuff, but we didn't really get rid of it all. Um, one thing, one note that Mandel gave me, like, right when I started was embrace the noise. And we kind of did. We we took that approach instead of trying to dialogue isolate everything and then reinstitute that back into the tracks. We were able to utilize what was already out in production. And in terms of the uh, vehicle scenes, those are some of the best recording in production that I have ever heard. From a personal standpoint, I guess trying to grab the warmth of the dialogue was something that I took to heart. Um, this is going to be one of those shows that is going to be incredibly dialogue-driven, and I want to be able to feel the frequencies, the fundamental frequencies of the voice, more so than I do on most other shows that I've worked on, Um, meaning that I really wanted to hear and feel that warmth of their voice. And so I really focused on those fundamental frequencies where sometimes the lavs don't really do a very good job at capturing that quality down there. But that's something that I really spent a lot of time surgically bringing out um, those frequencies in the voice because Mahershala and Stephen, Stephen Dwarf, his counterpart, both of their voices just have that such great low bass baritone resonance to them. So that was really important. So I appreciate uh, you, uh, I guess, just hearing that in general. So it makes me happy. <laughs> no, was, the richness of voice was very important, and, and we never wanted any of the noise reduction to take away from that because yeah. sometimes you can go too far definitely, and, and really tear it apart. And so Nick's words are so important to that storyline, and you just have to protect them. Micah did a great job, just phenomenal job getting the tracks, sometimes even double-cutting the boom and the lav mm-hmm. uh, in order to get that warmth out of them. The end result turned out really great. As you mentioned, it's a super dialogue-heavy show. Mm-hmm. It's a very internalized way that they're talking to everyone because sometimes they're interviewing and sometimes they're being interviewed. And if you can't hear what they're saying, the whole show would fall apart. Right. So congratulations to you guys. Have you guys worked put together before? Our first project together was uh, Girl in the Spider's Web. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a tough one, too. <laughs> that was... I keep throwing tough ones at him. <laughs> but very he always rises one. to the occasion, so... So how did you two meet? Well, we actually did work together on a couple of shows. We just didn't... We, Not at the we, same time. We were co-workers. <laughs> we, just, we just didn't work together at the same time. Um, he's done, worked on a couple of shows that I did um, as an ADR supervisor when I was doing the dialogue, and so we didn't really have too much communication in there because usually they'd shoot the ADR afterward because some of those shows just go by so fast that we're cutting dialogue as fast as we can just so that they can have something to look at to know what kind of ADR needs to be shot. So there's a couple shows in there we've done. So someone else on the crew for True Detective Season 3, one of the re-recording mixers was Greg Orloff. Yes. Mm. He is not known in the last 20 years or so for his television work. He's almost doing exclusive features and... Uh, prestige features like he does all the Coen Brothers films uh, what was it like working with him well he had worked with T-Bone doing a lot of the Coen Brothers stuff so he had a T-Bone was T-Bone Burnett yeah who uh, did the score for season three of- yeah he's been involved since season one very important part of the team and since they had that relationship it just made sense for Greg to come on board and he brought his mixing partner Tatum Kohut 
phenomenal dialogue mixer and music mixer. And Greg does effects, and he's just he's just such a great guy. It was a lot of fun having him on board. And had you worked with him before? Yeah, I had done a couple movies with them. Micah, had you worked with Greg before? Actually, no. Um, I think that was the first show I worked on with Tatum, and I just kept, like, harping on Mandel when he was on the Vic stage, like, hey, is there anything that Tatum needs? Like, is there anything I can do differently? You know, is there... I'm like, no, they're happy. (laughs) (laughs) I was just really worried because, you know, his show is just so dialogue-driven. It's just such a key element to the story, and, and all the, like, as you were mentioning, the whispering and those moments that are often very hard to pull out especially to that broadcast level spec. It's just um, yeah, it's hard. very difficult. But um, in terms of working with Greg, um, no, that was the first time I think I've ever worked with Greg. And actually since then, I've sat in with him on a couple of his mixes, just kind of watching him work too. So it's been fun. I'm getting to know him as well. He's a good person to hang around with. Yeah, he's cool. He's very, just a fun person. Yeah, he's done a thing or two in his life. Great stories. Micah, earlier you mentioned about how you wanted to make sure you kept the fundamental of the voices intact. Yes. What techniques did you use to try and do that? A couple different ones. Um, It kind of depended on the scene, where we were. For example, interrogation room scenes. And oftentimes those scenes, the set pieces that they build are oftentimes very noisy, boxy sounding. And typically what happens is because of that, those frequencies end up getting attenuated out of the voice by the re-recording mixer or, or even us in the dialogue edit stage, we're trying to like mitigate the amount of reverb in that environment. Well, I noticed that that was going to happen. And so I kind of did a little bit of deverbing in, in those environments, but just nothing that would um, be intrusive to the voice. But then what would really help is that sometimes the lavalier microphone might have this beautiful chest resonance but we're losing the higher frequencies in the voice due to the fact of their wardrobe um oftentimes they were wearing very thick clothing if not suits um we would lose you know some of the top end frequencies of the voice but the boom would sound beautiful on the higher end so sometimes i would do quite literally a marriage between the lav and the boom microphone, either physically place them on two different tracks and align them, or I would actually create my own microphone version and re-record over top of it to kind of get this like loom or <laughs> bavalier <laughs> sound. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, but it works. And as long as it doesn't face cancel or anything like that, you know, uh, It works out really well sometimes. Yeah, well, it worked out great for the show. You did a fantastic job. One of the things that I think really makes the dialogue work is the ambiences and BGs that you guys used on this show. Mandel, do you want to talk a little bit about how you approach the ambiences? Ryan Collins tackled most of the backgrounds. One of the big things is staying away from certain sounds because certain sounds, they're expected. And we're like, no, let's stay away from those. Let's like crickets. We didn't want crickets all the time. We had enough of that in the dialogue track. There are times to play the bugs and times not to play the bugs, so let's, uh, let's not overplay them. Playing into the emotion of the scene was, was pretty important. We also wanted to play into the idea of memory loss and the uneasiness of that. And so a lot of the atmospheres would play into that as well. So how do you go about playing into memory loss? One of the things was repetitive sounds, if he's like, straining to remember something, you'd hear this repetitive sound in the background in a rhythmic fashion in a way that he would then remember something. Yeah, it was little subconscious things like that. 
as I mentioned earlier, there's kind of three timelines going on in the show. Right. Did you design any kind of sonic differences between the timelines? Yeah, absolutely. We, we were very conscious of the three different timelines and how to make them sound different and, and really play with the transition so it was seamless transitioning between the two, between the three. Like in episode one, there's that, the spokes in the bike wheel and it turns into the clock. Yeah. So moments like that, how can we organically transition from one to the other very quickly and seamlessly? And how much of that was uh, derived from the picture and how much of that were you kind of building off screen? A lot of it was derived from the picture and a lot of it was thought of with our picture editor, Leo Trombetta. He is a fantastic editor and has some really great ideas. And, And he kind of would deliver these AAFs, which had a shape to them. So we're like, okay, follow the shape. This is what he wants. This is where they're happy right now. Let's expand upon that idea. Let's make it a bigger, better wheel. Let's not reinvent it. Cool. So what was the schedule like on the show? Like, this is obviously a priority show for HBO. It's one of their, like, season one in particular became a phenomenon. Everyone was talking about it when the last episode aired. If you hadn't seen it yet, you were screwed because you couldn't go on the internet, basically. Right. Do they allow you a little bit more time or is it a, a super rush like every other series? I guess you would call it a luxury sort of schedule. I mean, you get about two weeks to prepare and then five days to mix. Now, within that two weeks, I think Dialogue had seven days mm-hmm. per episode and uh, Effects had nine, ten days, and then we'd split that up. And then I was on for ten days per episode. But five of that was while I was on the stage. <laughs> so so I'm also on the ADR stage and dealing with all the other stuff. Did you use any loop group for the show? Yes. Yeah. The show takes place in Arkansas. Yes. Did you have to get specific actors with that drawl? Or? We tried to stay away from the drawl, actually. We, we didn't want to play up too much of that because the actors weren't really playing into it. No, that's true, yeah. It was more of a Missouri accent than, uh, than anything else. I mean, it, yeah, we tried to stay away from accents. The loop group, how many people were in it? I think we had about 10 people. Sometimes we had 12. It depended on the, the episode. When the show goes to air and you're watching it, are you able to be happy with it or are you going, oh, I wish we had the time to do this, wish we had the time to do that, that oh, that one little part. <laughs> how, 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 how happy are you guys with how it turned I'm out? I'm very happy with how it turned out. And I'm, I'm happy with how it translates to air. I, I thought it translated very nicely from the mix stage to, to air, yeah. Yeah, I have, to, I have to completely agree with that. I think this project in particular is probably the one project I could say I've worked on so far that I feel like it got put in its wrapping paper and a bow got wrapped around it (laughs) and we sent it off to the world. Just felt really good about it. Yeah, and a lot of shows I always feel like there's a loose thread. Exactly. They took it away from us just before we could clip that last thread. And uh, on this one, I feel like, okay, we buttoned it up. Yeah. I feel really proud of this. It's like, okay, put it out there to the world. Wow, that's awesome. You're right. Almost every show I've worked on, there's sometimes more than one loose thread but uh, yeah they did they it's never done they take it away yeah exactly yeah let me just chime in real quick on on that note um because because we talked a lot about some technical stuff in the beginning but um but in general in terms of content um i think what got me so excited about it was because the content was so great and it was because like we i think we watched the mandela and i watched the first two episodes or something like that he's like hey just go watch the first two. And so that's what I did first. And I was like, okay, 
not only is there a ton of dialogue here, <laughs> but <laughs> but the story is it just captivating. And then once you start, um, I don't want to obviously get into too many details for those who haven't seen it yet, because if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. But once we start getting into the different decades, I mean, it's it, start, it starts in 1980, and then there's 1990, and then 2015 is when they finally come back together. And what's so fascinating to me is to see these two, specifically these two actors, uh, Mahershala and Steven, just be able to pull off those three roles. Not only pull them off from a speaking and, and actor perspective and then wearing all the prosthetics that they had to wear as they aged, but also morphing their voices to make themselves sound older and wiser, and then all of a sudden, you know, as we get into 2015, now they sound deeper, darker, and grungier. And I actually played on that a lot, too. When I mean, I would gain up some of their voices. I don't know if you remember, but there was a scene, it was like 10 minutes long, where they were both sitting on the porch um, as elderly men. It was fascinating just to sit there and watch them, and my jaw was just on the floor, and I'm just like, this is, this is some truly amazing acting right here. And... I wanted to treat the dialogue that well. That's right. That's correct. Yeah, the, the director woman. She mentioned Harris James again. You sure you know what you're doing with her? Well, if I don't, I'm just a sick man. it motivated me to really like dig deep into their voice and pull out that resonance um, so that each word could be heard, including the whispers, as you mentioned earlier, is super important dialogue driven narrative. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. It was so cool. Everything's a challenge. I mean, you, you dig in, you're like, okay, how do I make this the best it can possibly be? And how do I make it believable? Because true detective is not something where it's, the dramatic over the top, it has to live in reality. It has to, do I buy that? It's all about mood. Yeah, mood. Is it establishing the mood or, or uh, creating a new mood uh, at a transition? It's, it's not the big flashy stuff, but it's, it's the important real world, uh, is it believable? Am I taking the audience out of the story with this? Or am I drawing them in? And that, that was the most important part. When we have supervising sound editors on, we always like to ask them this question. Are you the kind of supervisor that sits up at the board with the mixers and tries to navigate them through what to feature? Or do you like to sit at the back of the room, let them find their way through it, and then just pepper in little notes here and there? I'm involved, but I'm not in their laps. So I'm in the back of the room, <laughs> but I, I'll chime in. And I'll contribute throughout the process and, and kind of let them know where the landmines are. It's like, no, they're, they're looking for that. I participate, but I'm, I'm also not in their ear constantly. I let them get familiar with the tracks and find their way with it because there's a reason we're bringing talent like that to the table because they bring something else. I mean, fresh ears on a project is always good. Wow, yeah, exactly. Wise words. If you got them there, you might as well trust them. Micah and Mandel, thank you very much for talking to us today. It's 7 a.m. your time, so I really appreciate you guys getting up early and making the time for this. Also, congratulations on the Emmy nomination. Good luck. The awards are coming up soon. 
Hey, if anybody out there listening is an Emmy voter in the sound categories, make sure you take a moment to listen to True Detective and uh, give it a shot because it's probably worth your vote. It's a really great achievement in sound. So, uh, Mandel, Micah, thank you very much for being with us, and we'll talk to you soon. You're welcome back anytime. Thanks for having us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, really enjoyed this. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Dumb Bitters is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. 